The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawkbox. The headlines traveling in different directions. The Dow closes slightly lower as states like Arizona log record virus cases, but it diverges from the Nasdaq, which posts its first five-day winning streak in a month. Uh, McDonald's plans to beef up its workforce this summer with plans to hire 260,000 people as the fast food giant begins returning to normal operations in the United States. And the Supreme Court deals a blow to President Trump declaring that his plan to end the Obama-era youth immigration protection plan is unlawful. Shares in Wirecard closed down more than 60% after the German payments group admits 1.9 billion euros has gone missing, saying it believes a third party has deceived its auditors. And after an absence of 100 days, the Premier League, of course, is back in action with 92 games being played over 40 days under strict coronavirus conditions with regular testing and no crowds of fans. So a very warm welcome. A lot of people excited about the McDonald's story. And it's undoubtedly a net-net very good story. 260,000 people will go back to work in McDonald's. And did you see Subway? They're going to bring back the $5 footlong sandwich, which I guess will have some people very excited. Wasn't enough really to push the uh, major indices over the line. The uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average, as you can see here, uh, didn't quite make it into positive territory yesterday. The Nasdaq, the strongest performer here. And the early look on the futures, which have just been snatched away from me, are that we are likely to get a flat start to the trading session as far as the Dow is concerned. But there's a lot of green ink around and there's a lot of positivity. But there are some other reasons to be a little bit cautious today. It is a major um, options expiry day. I know Nomura has been out there this month talking about whether that will have an impact on how cyclicals ultimately trade after that options expiry. But what it does mean is there's likely to be just a little bit of volatility around in the market today as we find out ultimately whether there was any net real direction in those derivatives contracts. A few other things to talk about this morning. The uh, Asian uh, session um, was a a little bit um, ho-hum, I would say, and we had uh, a deflation number out of uh, Japan that didn't excite people. It was a negative 0.2% on the core CPI number. this in spite of the fact that we've already seen the uh, US, uh, sorry, the Japanese government talk about pumping $2.2 trillion into the Japanese economy. So we're, we're up about um, uh, five-tenths of 1% at the moment as far as the Nikkei 225 is concerned as that market heads towards its close. Uh, but you do get the sense here that these markets are waiting to find a higher gear at this point, even as what we saw in the United States across the board on the data front this 
this week was largely okay. The spending, the housing, the manufacturing data, all of it indicating a burst of activity um, as we're starting to see the lockdowns easing, even though we continue to get these very weak uh, uh, or very uh, poor readings on virus infections. Um, let's have a look at some stocks, shall we? Let's uh, flip the wall and, and just show you the, uh, the week as was. Uh, the Nasdaq, uh, obviously still the standout here, up 3.7%, and the Dow lagging at, up one8 But overall, you can see that the broad tone for the week was an improvement on how we came out of last week. But this question of the burst of economic activity, these rising coronavirus cases will dog the market as it goes into the weekend here. And of course, that big options expiry uh, that I talked about in California. Did you see the numbers in California? Um, They uh, um, saw their biggest single day increase alongside uh, um, spike in cases on a number of other states. So the US then reporting the most significant rise in new coronavirus cases since early May, with California, Texas and Florida marking their biggest one-day rise in infections. The nation's daily count remained above 23,000 for a second day running as fresh outbreaks in Arizona and North Carolina also added to the tally. The overall death toll in America now stands at over 111,000 casualties. President Trump focused on the successes he believes his administration has shown in reopening the economy. Under my administration's strategy to vanquish the virus and restart our economy, small businesses across the nation are now safely reopening. All over the nation, they're reopening at levels like nobody's seen before. We're sheltering individuals at the highest risk. If you look at... uh, really high-risk individuals. We are really watching them and we're taking care of them. President Trump there. With those, uh, for those who have uh, Happy Meal withdrawal symptoms, uh, perhaps some good news coming from McDonald's, the company planning to hire 260,000 workers this summer as it begins to reopen its American dining rooms and resumes normal operations as of Monday. The fast food giant allowed customers to sit at a table at a thousand of its 14,000 locations. The fast food giant said it plans to implement 50 new safety protocols to protect employees and clients. The move follows similar announcements from rival Subway, Taco Bell and Dunkin' Donuts. But McDonald's recruitment plan is more than double the amount of the four chains combined. The company is one of the biggest private employers in the United States. Facebook has taken down ads from President Trump's re-election campaign that featured a symbol apparently used in Nazi Germany. The social media giant says the ads violated its policy against organized hate, adding that, quote, our policy prohibits using a banned hate group's symbol to identify political prisoners without the context that condemns or discusses the symbol, which is apparently an inverted triangle. The posts targeted the far-left group Antifa, a group the president has blamed for violence at recent protests against police brutality. 
Europe is vowing to push ahead with plans to impose a global digital tax on U.S. tech firms after Washington announced it was walking away from talks. In a letter seen by the BBC, the finance ministers of the U.K., France, Spain and Italy warned that tech giants like Facebook and Amazon will only emerge more powerful from the COVID crisis, adding they should pay their fair share of tax in the European market in which they enjoy free access. Meanwhile, the Commission says it is ready to make its own proposal for harmonised levies on an EU level if no agreement is reached this year with the US. European leaders are set to hold a video conference later today where they're expected to discuss their response to the digital tax as well as the proposed coronavirus recovery fund, the €750 billion uh, euro plan is aimed at helping countries that were hardest hit by the pandemic. But the proposal, backed by Germany and France, continues to cause deep divisions across the continent. And Sylvia, it seems to me that those who are objecting still have issue with the idea that money will be handed over as a grant rather than a loan that has to be paid back at some time. Just tell us who at the moment is on the objecting side of the story. Good morning, Jeff. Well, it's not that simple to answer that question because there are a lot of details in the proposal that the Commission made last month. And so, for instance, when it comes to the question of grants versus loans, there are indeed four countries that are still opposing the idea of giving money to other member states, so against grants. But there are other things in the proposal, for instance, uh, how to calculate how the money should be disbursed or which sectors should be uh, supported. Those are also causing division among the 27 member states. So when it comes to this recovery fund, there, it, there isn't such a thing as a, a two camps here. There's actually little groups here and there depending which condition, which part of the proposal you're looking at. And I have to say, Jeff, that these discussions became even more problematic in the last 48 hours or so. You mentioned the digital tax there. The US decided to pull out of the OECD talks, and that is that comes at a particular time for the European leaders, because in the proposal that the Commission made last month, it suggested that the European leaders needed to come up with new sources of revenue, and one of them should be a digital tax. But of course, this is a very problematic issue within the 27 European countries. There's no consensus at this stage to implement to implement such a, a EU-wide uh, digital tax. And there, it isn't clear whether we will actually see some sort of proposal coming out of the OECD later this year. So another question for the European leaders this morning is, how are you going to repay this new debt? And this, Jeff, is a very, very important question, in particular for countries such as the Netherlands, uh, such as Austria, Sweden, and Denmark as well. So let's see what the leaders will tell us later today. This is their first negotiation regarding the proposal that the Commission made last month. I have to say, though, that no one expects a breakthrough as of yet. I spoke with different European officials yesterday and they all mentioned that the most likely outcome is that we will see in the best positive, in the best scenario, really, we will see a new summit in July, a face-to-face -face meeting that is likely to indeed 
seal this agreement over new fiscal stimulus. But in order to achieve that, the leaders today will have to get a lot of work done. Sylvia, thank you very much for laying out the case for us. Let's bring in uh, Jolt Davis, uh, Senior Fellow for Bruegel. Uh, Jolt... Sylvia, I think, explained the challenges uh, quite well. Uh, you know this story intimately. Uh, are we going to have to wait for the next pandemic before this money is ultimately made available to these countries that desperately need the financial support? All European Union countries, in my view, recognize the urgency of agreeing on a recovery facility. Even these so-called frugal four countries of Netherlands, Sweden, Denmark and Austria so I expect an agreement, not today, as also Celia mentioned, but in the coming months. But I expect that the agreement will include a lower overall amount than what the Commission proposed and a larger share of loans and a lower share of grants. Well, ultimately, won't that be damaging to the whole message around cohesion that the executive has been trying to send in recent weeks? Well. The mere fact that such a fund has been proposed initially by France and Germany and then later it was incorporated in the European Commission proposal is clearly a historic event in the European Union. Never such fund has been, has been proposed before. So even if they go back, let's say, to the 500 billion uh, instead of the 750, the 500 billion was proposed by France and Germany, that would be really something brand new in the European Union and might boost confidence throughout the continent. Can I probe a little bit further on the digital tax? Because when this was first discussed back in 2018, there was clear opposition coming from Sweden, Denmark and Ireland. And it feels as though Denmark has shifted a little bit from its opposition and would support an EU-wide proposal. That said, what we've also witnessed since 2018, a number of individual countries have gone it alone in terms of their own digital tax. So what sort of appetite do you think there is now across Europe to push forward with this digital tax idea? Now, some countries will certainly introduce or have already introduced the digital tax, but now everybody is waiting whether the OECD process will lead to a harmonized global tax. But if not, I'm pretty sure that the European countries will, will go ahead. And indeed, the resistance of Ireland and some other countries, um, I think that, that somehow should be circumvented and, and uh, I expect that a European agreement will be agreed because clearly digital companies were the beneficiaries of this, of this health crisis. Their profits are going up. Um, so indeed, it's, it's even more urgent to tax those big companies now. The response from the United States this week not to be involved in those OECD talks and to try and push it out until later this year before there's a proper discussion or any progress made gives the impression that this is a huge negative for Europe and that if they want to make any progress, it could be individual trade fights or it could be trade tariffs that many of European nations would face at this point. But I just want to bring in what happened with the European data protection laws because there was this collective action and in the United States, some of the Silicon Valley tech groups said, well, we'd rather have one regulation to deal with than splintered regulation. And what they're now looking at in Europe is splintered regulation around a digital tax, various different levels of percentages around digital taxes. Is there any leverage in the fact that Europe might come up with one solution, even if it is slightly punitive for those Silicon Valley companies? 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the urgency that the current situation uh, is, is, is posing to all economies in the European Union, they will come up with one solution and the resistance from, from different quarters of the EU um, will be <clears throat> somehow managed. Uh, and I'm also pretty sure that the US will fight back in to some extent. But it also a little bit depends on the EU-US debate on, on how the US elections will go on, whether Mr. Trump will continue to be the next president or perhaps Mr. Biden will, will take a new role. If Mr. Biden will be the new president, uh, I could expect that he would more return to international cooperation uh, and could, for, uh, <clears throat> could help the OECD process to, to find a global solution for taxing digital companies. Jolt, I want to get back to this tax debate that uh, Jeff was asking you about as well, because I find this absolutely fascinating. Historically, if we're going back the last 15, 20 years, many of us have thought if the EU fractures, it'll fracture from the south upwards because of the various strains on countries such as Greece, on countries such as Italy. But for more about what I read and what I hear from you as well, I think actually it could fracture from the north downwards as well, because some of the methodology we're talking about, about solving the fiscal and budgetary problems, means a further transfer of wealth from the north to the south. Many um, voters will just not buy that. They won't vote in governments going forward, not just in the frugal four, but across the northern uh, states in the EU as well. Surely that is the greatest concern now, that actually people who allow this transfer of wealth just might not get voted back in again. Indeed, the Commission proposal for this recovery facility involves an enormous redistribution from the north to the south. And a number of countries uh, in the north complained that the goal of this fund should be to help the recovery from, uh, from the current economic shock caused by the pandemic and not you know, solving long-standing problems like fiscal sustainability in southern countries or helping the convergence of, uh, of Eastern European countries which are anyway doing relatively well and were hit much less uh, by the current crisis than, let's say, Italy or, or Spain. So indeed, I think a lot of discussion today and in the coming months will be how to square the circle, uh, namely whether EU money would be enough or at least would make a big push for the fiscal sustainability of Italy and, and some other Southern European countries, or instead, the European effort should focus on clearly just the recovery part from the current economic shock and more long-standing issues should be left to the, to the standard European Union budget because we shouldn't forget that beyond this 750 billion euro proposal for the pandemic fund, the European Commission proposed an even larger fund, 1.1 trillion euros for the, the usual seven-year EU budget. So that includes even more money and if that money is used better, that can also help a lot uh, in addressing the long-standing structural issues in the European Union. Jolt, we're going to wrap up with you. Thank you so much for that, Jolt Davos, uh, senior fellow at Bruegel. The uh, issue, I guess, is whether uh, Die Welt is right and Germany may have to pay 42% more to make up that budget shortfall. Uh, that is the number 
uh, that uh, De Velt says uh, is out there in the calculations, even as the uh, German government at this point, I don't think, has confirmed that publicly. Uh, still to come on the programme this morning, we sat here yesterday waiting for wire card numbers to come out, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and then the market sold them down. One of the worst one-day falls in the DAX's history, and things may only get worse for Wirecard. Apparently, two billion has gone missing. We'll tell you about that when we come back. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Wirecard says it may have been the victim of, quote, fraud of considerable proportions and has accused a third party of deceiving its auditors. This after EY said it was unable to confirm the existence of almost two billion euros supposedly held in trust accounts. The German fintech company once again postponed its 2019 earnings, helping send the share price down by over 60 percent. Wirecard has until today to publish its annual results, otherwise its banks will have the option to terminate some €2 billion in loans. Um, Annetta joins us with more on this story, and Annetta, it may be helpful if you just refresh our memories here, because this isn't a recent saga, this has been running for a little while. Yes, it has been running for a little while. It's um, back last autumn when the Financial Times was starting to report about um, irregularities when it comes to their accounting. That was rebuffed violently by Wirecard, but also the uh, German regulator didn't really look into the matter thoroughly. Um, Instead of it, they actually looked into whether the Financial Times journalist has done its job Right. So today, and also already it started yesterday, there's a huge discussion in Germany whether or not everybody was far too lenient on the company because nobody apparently looked really into the business model, neither the regulator nor also the analyst. At some point in time, one analyst from a very well-known bank here in Germany called the reporting from the Financial Times fake news. So much to that, uh, the, the, the fact that apparently why card was always shielded somewhat as the poster child of being a tech company in Germany, which we don't have too many of, uh, apart from SAP and Software AG. So, but let me bring you up to speed where we stand now. So this crisis literally turned into a very existential crisis for Wirecard. Today, um, some 2 billion euro of loans could be actually called off by the banks because of a breach in covenants with that non-existing um, audited financial statement by Ernst & Young. And it also seems up to that point not very much uh, clear 
how that could happen. Even the management in that YouTube statement was saying that it's not their fault, which is a bit obscure as well, because at the same time, they have fired their CEO as of yesterday, because apparently he was uh, in the loop of what happened with those third party accounts. And um, it is also very obscure how 1.9 billion euro can just be uh, not there and why that cash has been held with third party trust account and what's the motivation of those banks also to give away false information to the auditors that's one of the accusations which is which are flurrying around so i guess that story will go on but the market has already made its mind up also the credit side because the bonds which are due uh, in 2024, they just fell to 58 cents on the euro yesterday, which kind of tells you the story that it is turning into a very existential crisis for Wirecard. Their market cap is just shy of 5 billion euro. When they entered the DAX in 2018, replacing Commerzbank, their market cap was somewhat 20 billion euro. So I guess it's high time for Wirecard also to leave the DAX and we're going to see a more drastic development in the next coming days. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.